jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon. Glad to have you with us, everybody. Stephen Fonte alongside Seth Goldberg. We're coming to you live from the great New York State Fair. This is Orange Nation. You know how to get in touch with us. The number stays the same, 315-437-7644. You can also text us at 315-288-0644. No guests lined up for you today, so we want to hear from you. We're coming to you live from the News Channel 9 location at the Great New York State Fair. We're right across from Chevy Court outside the Dairy Building. Seth Goldberg getting his second-ever taste of yes. the Great New York State Fair. Yes, I, I actually like walked around today. I got here really early. I didn't know if it was going to be a problem parking. I didn't know if there were going to be a lot of people here to get in. I ended up walking through the gates here at like 1045. So I've been here a while. I've explored a little bit. I've been able to see, you know, what's going on here. I had chocolate milk. Does that count as trying something at the fair? It does not, because okay. you've had that before. You, yes. In order for it to count, it has to be something you have never experienced in your life. Okay. And you'll so find I've, plenty of those things yes, here. Yes, there's so much fried stuff. And I, I was walking around, and, like, the the smell of, like, French fries is just, like, everywhere. Fried Oreos. I think fried Oreos is going to be at the top of my list of things to try. We're sitting across from, like, a dinosaur tent, which seems dangerous. I can actually get you a coupon. I can get you some <laughs> free food there. So, uh, yeah, save your appetite. Do we have the hookup with Max, or we, no, we've got another we, hookup? we've got the hookup oh, through okay. Channel 9. So, okay. yeah, we can get you some dino uh, after... Uh, the show, but we've got to talk sports for 90 minutes, and we'll we'll get more into the fair and the flavor of the fair. But if you're you're out here or coming out here, uh, stop on by, say hello. We'd love to talk sports uh, with you. The big news today has to do with college basketball, and yesterday on the show, like we just talked about this yesterday. The How topic bad of the, the RPI is. Topic of the RPI came up. We said well, they, they should do away with that. There's got to be a, a better system, better way to figure things out than the RPI. And then, lo and behold, this morning, the NCAA announces that the RPI is going away. They've been using that index since 1981, and it's going to be replaced. You think it was time to change it? It was time to change <laughs> it. And every year we talk about it, how it doesn't make sense, and, and they finally have decided to do something about it. So they tweaked the system last year with the quadrant system quadrants one through four and now they're going to tweak it again they're getting rid of the rpi they're instituting something called the net system and and we can get more into this uh, as things move along but essentially it's going to take into account more things things that it should take into account like where the the victories came right not just right. games won but where those games were played the quality of the opponent strength of schedule they're, they are going to take into account margin of victory which i'm not sure i'm i'm thrilled about but we can talk about the margin of victory and also Offensive and defensive efficiency. My understanding of that, it's you know, it's the 
the dynamic that we hear all the time about points per possession right. on offense or you know how many points you give up per possession on defense. I, I think this is certainly a big step in the right direction for college basketball. Oh, there's no question about it. And it's not a question of is it a good step in the right direction? Is it is it a big move forward? The question is how big a step forward is this, right? Like that that's the question that I'm dealing with. It is so much better than the RPI because now instead of relying on your opponent's 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 records, you're relying on what you do on the court, right? Your team, your opponents, what you do, how how badly you beat them, uh, what your defensive metrics are, what your offensive metrics are. It is a much better way of looking at things. And I think that when you look at uh, you know, what some of the suggestions were from people like Ken Pomeroy, who's at the, the top of his field in this, or the people who run ESPN's BPI. You know, this is the stuff that they put into their metrics, and their metrics are a lot better than the RPI. Uh, you know, that, that's just kind of a fact. That's just kind of how this is going at this point. The NCAA was using outdated methods, outdated metrics, and in 2018, it's about time that they changed it. And the... Uh Ken Palm rankings will be on a team's uh, sheet still, as it was last year. That was another change they made last year is that uh, the Ken Palm ratings, Sangren ratings, and ESPN's BPI were all included on team sheets. That will continue. The quadrant system will continue, that you get more credit, essentially, for, for beating teams on the road in order for it to be a quadrant one win. It's got to be over a team that's, you know, last year in the top 30 RPI, and now the RPI is going away. It's got to be in the, the top 30 uh, within this new system, the the, the net system. Right. Um, I, I think it is, obviously, it's a big step in the right direction. Is it perfect? I don't think it's perfect. I'm not sure a perfect system exists. But I don't you, think there is one. You, you are still going to have the human element, and obviously at the end of the day it's going to come down to humans making the, the final calls on certain teams, but I think that the metrics that they are using will give them a better idea of, of who the best teams are in the country. Don't you think, and I don't know that this is the point necessarily, but don't you think this could help the, the mid-major? Like in theory, because now, you know, you were using the RPI, right? You were using the RPI and you were looking at, oh, well, Middle Tennessee State's RPI isn't very good because you're factoring in their opponent's opponent's records and, 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 you know, the teams that they're playing aren't that great. Okay, well, now you're factoring in them, right, their record. You're also factoring in their offensive and defensive inefficiencies, uh, efficiencies, I should say. You're doing a lot more of what they do. And, and if you're putting in scoring margin, which I know you don't like, but you put in margin of victory, they're going to win if you're a good enough mid-major team that you're getting tournament consideration as an at-large bid you're probably winning most games by 10 ish points so even if you cap it at 10 like it seems like they're going to do and say hey if you beat a team by 40 we're not going to look at that but say hey you beat a team by 10 12 whatever it might be like hey we'll, we'll give you credit for that like most of these mid-majors that are in consideration for that will be there so I think that this really helps that. Like I, I think this helps that team that is that hasn't gotten a bid the last couple of years. Whether that's Monmouth, whether that's Middle Tennessee State, uh, you know the the little guy who people have been yelling for to get in. This helps them. It, it's not that I don't like the margin of victory. Like I I understand that a twenty point win over a you know a sol, you know a good solid team is better than a you know a three point win think, over that. But same you team. think it means that teams will, well, will run up the what, score? What's the like? What's the difference if you beat a team by three or seven? Like the, especially the way the the game of basketball is played, a few free throws late in the game, or a, you know the opponent hits a three at the buzzer. Like why should that matter? Like I you know maybe have two 
distinctions. You beat a team by single digits or you beat them by double digits. Like, what What does it matter if you beat a team by two or five? Like, why is that different? You it's, know? Not, it's not. But, it, but, but a you, team that hits a three at the buzzer, like, why Why is that used against you? Like, you are you won the game. Like, why, I don't I don't understand why margin I, of victory is taken I get into why, account. No, I, I get why it's in there. I, I would imagine that there are things that will be weighed more than others, and that will be weighed a little less than probably what the others are, right? Like, if, if I you would hope gonna, so. If you were going to rank these things on a scale of what's most important and what's least important, like, I would have to think that margin of victory is the – is closer to the bottom of that list than the top. Well, like there are, you know, to your point, I'd much rather look at strength of schedule. I'd much rather look at game location. I'd much rather look at net offensive and defensive efficiency. I'd much rather look at the quality of wins and loss. So this is going to be in that metric, right? This is going to be a part of the whole. I don't think it's going to be like an overbearing part of that whole. But then again, we have no idea. Like we have no idea how this is actually going to be hodgepodged and put together. Let me paint a scenario for you. It's the ACC tournament. It's the 8-9 right. game. Yep. A team like Syracuse. You know, Syracuse and Miami in the 8-9 game. Both teams happen to be on the bubble. It's a seven-point game with 20 seconds left. If you're the team that's winning and you know you're on the bubble, are you setting up a play to try to hit a three so you get the probably maximum not. amount of points? No, you know, if we beat them by 10, no, that's the, I'm not that's, think, No, I'm probably not thinking about it. But why? that's my point, though. What, like, Why is that even taken into because consideration? Because you're not thinking about it. So you're not if it's run taken into account, you are? I don't think so. Were we not talking about how Buffalo does in its conference tournament because that yeah, impacts think, Syracuse? Like, why think, is? But do you think that the, the team was thinking about that? You it, think that the, like like that's the thing like we'll talk Seth, about this we'll we'll you know, sit there and talk about margin of victory at the end Seth, of the games but I I don't think that the coaching staff we, is sitting on the sideline saying time out hey yes. guys we need a bucket here because it'll mean more points and it'll help our ranking do you not remember like the BCS and like when teams absolutely ran up the score. They absolutely did to try to get style points and, you know, do they need to go out and, you know, beat this team by 40? And I mean, how often do we talk about that? So well, we talk about it now, too, with the human element. It's 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 less, though. It's right. it's less important now. And, and my point is, you say, you know, are they thinking about it? The reason that they might be thinking about it is that they have decided to include this in the metric. So if you know that's being included in the metric, how could you not think about it? Especially if you, you know, this could be your last win of the season. Right. Well, we need to go out and win by 10 today because that's, you know, that, that maximizes this victory. That's my point is that, you know, does it change your strength? And, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it with saying, you know, it's the last possession of the game, but with three minutes to go instead of, you know, hey, how, often, just lay back. how often do we see Jim Beheim pull it out and, and right. you know, they, they drain the shot clock? And you're, obviously, gonna, you're saying you're not going to do that anymore because you're going to say, hey, instead of, instead of winning this game by six, we can right. win it by ten. It's a four-point game with two minutes left. You know, should we kill some time? No. You know, this might be our last win. We need to go out and maximize this victory. So we're going to go out and try to win this game by ten. In my mind, what does it matter? It's the 8-9 game of the ACC tournament. A win should be good. You know what I mean? A win is a right. win. Well, and, and that's it, why – and that's why – the thing that we don't know about this and we will probably never know is what the formula is, right? We don't know the formula for BPI and Kempom and Sagarin, and we probably won't ever know the formula and how things are weighted here. Um, but if you were able to know and pick that apart, then I think we would be able to know a little bit more about this, right? And, and that's not something that I would imagine we will get, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that we will 
get like, hey, here's the breakdown. Uh, lotion counts for 4%. Score margin counts for 2% of this. You know, uh, net offensive and defensive efficiencies count for 20%. Like, we're never going to get that breakdown, are we? So like, I don't think so, but my point is, like, why even include it then? Because when they say, you know, a cap of 10 points is applied to the winning margin to prevent teams from running up the score in unsportsmanlike play. So to me, that indicates that a two-point win is different than a five-point win, which is different than an eight-point win, which is different than a ten-point win. But isn't what a two-point is point, point win different than an eight-point win? Is there, but again, like, is there really no difference between those? Like, like think about it, though. It's different. How often in the game of, of basketball, how often do you see a team say, you know, you look at the final score and say, well, it wasn't even that close because, you know, Syracuse missed, a free, uh, missed a, th- uh, a free throw and then somebody hit a three at the buzzer, you know, and, and all of a sudden it you know, should have been a seven-point win, but they win by two or whatever the case may be. Like, are teams going to start playing defense on that last possession now when, you know, normally they're going over and they're right. shaking hands while somebody jacks up a three with no time, you know? Like, why? Like, why is a two-point win different than a seven-point win? Like, I don't think it should be. I think you win the game, you win the game, it counts, you move on. I, I don't want to get too hung up on this because I do think it's a Sounds big like step. You in, are. I think it's a big step in the right direction, but I, I just I don't see the point of, of putting in margin of victory. I Look, I, I've, I've clearly got no issue with it. Like, I, I, I don't. I don't think that that kind of a thing. Uh, I don't think that matters. Like I, right? I, I don't, if it, if like, it doesn't matter, then don't put it in. <laughs> but why do you? But like I, I don't see why it's a big deal to put it in. Like I, I think that. Like I think that there's, there's a difference between winning by a possession and winning by ten. And so, like I think that, I, right? I, like so, not all wins are created equal. And so I think that you have to understood. you have to mark that somehow. So and this is the only way that we can like that scoring margin is the only way to know if you beat a team by more than the other team beat that team. Fine, single digit win versus double digit win. Fine. Like I'm fine with that. But to to suggest that a two point win is different than a seven point win. Well, the real problem it, is capping it at ten, isn't it? Because there's no difference between two and eight, but there's a difference between two and fifteen. Or 11 and you beat a team by 29. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't take that into account. And I get they don't want teams to run up the score, but I just I, I, I don't see the point of putting in the, the, the margin. But I like the fact that, you know, who you beat and where you beat them, it's weighted more. They started to go down that path last year, and they've continued down that path with this new system. Uh, I want to pass these along from Matt Norlander uh, of CBS Sports. He spoke with Dan Gavitt, who runs NCAA College Basketball. Um, and he said the net algorithm is powered by artificial artificial intelligence. Thus, isn't something readable. So essentially, we're just going to get a list of one to three, whatever. Uh, NCAA owns the metric, and uh, net rankings will start with weekly unveilings in late November, early December. Or is this, how soon until this is turned into a TV show? Is is one question? It might be week then, one. It might be week <laughs> one, and then. Uh, and this is interesting because I think this would be really helpful, but the NCAA will not apply net metric to previous years for a comparison. Like, I think that would be really helpful to their case. Like, hey, what would Syracuse, like Syracuse have been wouldn't last, have made it last right, year? Yeah. Right. Or, or, like, let's compare Syracuse and Middle Tennessee State, those bubble teams, or Syracuse and Monmouth, or whatever you want to do, and say, hey, what would that have looked like last year? What would the bubble have looked like? Even if you only do last four and first four out, what would those eight teams have looked like had you used this metric rather than your terrible metric? So knowing that, do you not see how a team not really knowing how much margin of victory matters needs to go out? Again, late in the season, you know you're on the, on the bubble. You go out and you want to maximize the victory. We need to win by double digits today. 
So no, because it said they said they're putting a cap at ten. Right. That's what I'm saying. You to maximize the victory, you need to get to ten. So you need to buy, win by ten or more, opposed to just worrying about winning the game. I, I don't see why you include margin of victory, but in any event, we do need to take our first time out. We're going to open it up to our listeners at three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. We are back after this on ESPN Radio. Jumper on the way, good. Tyus Battle nails the three. Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown. If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for oh! Soaring through the air. High-flying Slovakian. Screen pass here. He'll get one. And he stays alive, and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat. He'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27-24. The penetration. Step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. We're coming to you live from... The great New York State Fair. We're across from Chevy Court right next uh, right next to the dairy building. I was going to say next door. Came out wrong. Seth Goldberg, Stephen Fonte with you. 315-437-7644. If you'd like to get involved, you can also text us. 315-288-0644. We kick off hour number two talking some SU football. The opener nine days away next Friday on the road at Western Michigan. I don't know about you, Seth, but I'm I'm ready for football to be played. And I know we say that at every you know, at this time every year. But I feel like in especially the last few years, we had like major questions that we were waiting to be answered, right? right. When Dino Babers took over, what is this new offense gonna look like? He promised us a game that we had never seen before. And then year two it was well, weeks four through six, you're going to see something noticeably different. We were all wondering what that meant. I, I feel like we have a handle on what the Dino Babers era is all about and, and what we can expect from this team and this program. And it seems like all the pieces are there, and, and you know what they have on offense, you know what they have on defense. There aren't these huge question marks going into this year. I just want to see them play. Like I want to see yes. this team play healthy and against another opponent and just see where they are right now. There's there's really I don't have like these big questions going into the year, do you? No, I'm with you. I, I just I wanna see them play. I wanna see this team on the field. I wanna see what it looks like. Um, I mean the biggest question I've got well, two biggest questions I've got is uh will can Eric Dungey stay healthy? Will Eric Dungey stay healthy, right? I think that's gotta be the top of your list. And then the other one that I think you have to ask is about the defense and what will it look like. Um, that is obviously a big question, but I don't know that it was like. I feel like we had bigger ones coming into last year. No doubt, right? Like you, you, you just don't know what this defense will look like because of you don't because you don't know who the players are, right? You don't know you don't know who's going to uh, fill that void in. Uh, in the linebacker position, things like that. So I, I think that's that's why we don't know. Once once week one, week two rolls around and we know who's there, I think that that question will be answered a little bit. Um, you know, once we know who's on the field at what position, it doesn't feel like as big a question as it probably should. 
And, and I know that there, you know, there's going to be the schematic shift on defense. You know, going to the four-two-five and playing nickel package. You know, all the time and, and so on and so forth. And like you said, the personnel is going to be a little different with the linebacking core being replaced. I feel like you have those kinds of questions every year, though, regardless of what program you are. You know, you you lose somebody and you know to graduation or a bunch of somebody's to graduation, and who's going to fill the void? And, and there, everybody deals with those questions. We don't have, in my opinion, anyway, we don't have the big picture questions that right. we've had really the last several years even going I guess that's what I was getting at. before Babers it was you know is Scott Schaefer going to keep his job I mean there were big picture questions should he keep his job should you give him another year if you keep changing coaches you know the stability like how much does that hurt recruiting and, and hurt the you know the the improvement process of this program there were big picture questions with Syracuse football and I feel like some of that has died down the last several years. Yeah, I, I think it has, and and I think that to an extent that's because of stability, right? Like because if, to an extent that's because of uh, stability, and and you know that Dino Babers is here, you know that he's going to be here. He's not in danger of getting fired if you have a bad year. Uh, you know he he's here. He's the coach. He's he's gonna be around. So I I think that that plays into a lot of our like big picture questions, right? Big picture, you know, coming into last year, it was all right. What's this thing gonna look like? It's still year two. It's still new. All right. Well, that wore off a little bit. Like it's not really new anymore. We know what it's going to look like vaguely. It's just a matter of what is it going to look like with this year's pieces in place. And I would say it's not just stability, and it's not just that Dino Babers is here. I think that the next step to that is it's it's working, or it seems to be working, right. that Dino Babers has this thing moving in the right direction. So to me, the big picture quest questions have been answered you know, to some degree. And everybody's healthy. It seems like the pieces are in place. Let's just go see this team play football and, and see how things go. Uh, you know, when they, they go up against Western Michigan uh, next Friday night. Uh, w- do we have a phone call? Uh, doesn't look like it. Let's get to uh, let's get to a soundbite. Okay, let's do that. I thought we had Scooter on, on hold, but I think we lost Scooter. So, yeah, when I sat down with Dino Babers uh, two days ago, uh, I asked him a, a wide variety of questions. But one of the things I asked him was, was about the, the big picture stuff and the changes to the program. And we obviously, we meaning those of us in the media, I think fans have seen it. I think those from the outside looking in have seen many changes made to Syracuse football. I asked him what the biggest change in his mind has been since he's arrived. Here's what he had to say about that. I think, uh, first of all, the, the belief, the, the, the kinship, the fellowship within the program. I think the, uh, the team is a lot closer. Now, of course, that's easy for me to say based off of previous regimes and, and how I feel, and it may not be totally true uh, looking from the outside in, but I feel it from the inside out. And then I just think when you look around, the guys are physically, they're different. So there you go. They're tighter and physically they're different. And I, I think we would all agree on both those things. Yeah, to me what he said there is it's his culture. Right? Like that that's what I read into that. Like, hey, it's year three, it's my program, it's my culture, it's my guys in this building. And if you weren't one of my guys, you are now, right? Because now it's year three. Now you've been playing me for two for me for two plus years. Like that's what I took away from that that statement. Like this is my team, my program, my culture. This is what I wanted to build in this building. All right, I think we do have Scooter and Jamesville uh, back with us. Scooter, how are you today? Hey guys, not bad, Dad. Yeah, I was listening to you guys talk about the new systems and stuff, but it still has to be programmed in, and somebody's going to have to still decide this is a good team, that's not a good team. And there's a lot of things. My my, my problem is, I think I don't think analytics can 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 decide. For example, uh, 
Villanova hasn't beaten Butler twice at Butler. Butler's a tough place to play. Does analytics taking Butler in football like going to play Clemson at Death Valley? Does that take consideration that you're going to, if you, if you play a night game at LSU or Death Valley, it that's going like to be a lot will, more yes. difficult than playing a 12 noon game where the fans aren't crazy yet. And also, I haven't heard a, an honest intellectual uh, uh, reason that you know, Syracuse, one of the reasons they got into the tournament is that they were supposedly the 12th uh, toughest non-conference games. And my boy's Gonzaga was 102. And if you, if you compare the schedule, I don't think Gonzaga's even close to Syracuse or Syracuse close to Gonzaga. When you go at, when you go at Villanova, Mass Square Garden, at Washington, at San Diego State, you play Texas, uh, Texas, Florida, and Ohio State are on the road, and they're considered the 102 best uh, best uh, uh, non-conference in Syracuse is 12. Well, somebody somebody's programming something wrong because if that's the case, then some the, the analytics is, isn't working. You're saying that they would be 100 under the new system, or that was what oh, it was wow. last year? The system last year in the, the non-conference. Right. You, know, you know, Syracuse. Right. One of the reasons it sounds like Syracuse got in because they beat Buffalo. They beat teams that supposedly made them like in the top 12 non-conference. My point is, how, the, the Olympics didn't, you know, you know, Gonzaga got in because they won their conference title, but it's a one big conference sometimes. But basically, I looked at, I looked at Gonzaga's schedule, and if you want to look at it, go, go for it. And they're on the road. They're not home. They're on the road. And that's considered the 102 best non-conference uh, 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 system in Syracuse is the 12th. I don't even know why the biggest discrepancy, because I can't see the difference. I can't see San Diego State made the tournament, Florida made the tournament, uh, I believe Texas made the tournament. Villanova's number one in the country. They play in that Madison Square Garden. They, you know, well, and also, I, they travel. They travel 3,000 miles across, you know, across the United States. And I don't think, I don't think analytics takes that in place for football and, and basketball. And that's the hardest part, I think, by analytics, is, they, is that there's certain, there's certain aspects of, of sports that, that's basically human. And like I said, if Syracuse got to play Clemson at 8 o'clock at night and compared to 12 noon, they're not going to win the game probably anyway, but they're not going to win it at night. And I don't think I don't think Alex is going to take that into uh, well, consideration. Th- I don't th- yeah, I don't think there's any analytic formula that can take that into account. And Scooter, we appreciate the call. I would say that the the simplest answer to that is that it, it shows it, that is one example, and it's a good example, but it's one example why the RPI was flawed. Right. I would be curious to see, and we're not going to see it, uh, but I would be curious to see what Gonzaga's non-conference strength of schedule would look like under this new formula. Right. And and again, the NCAA has made it clear we're not going back. We're not going to show you what it would have looked like. Um, so I think that's the the simple answer. I'm not not saying you're wrong, Scooter. I mean, you make a, a compelling case. Um, but that's why it needed to be changed. That's one of the many reasons why it needed to be changed. And, and in that case, I don't want to call Gonzaga a mid-major, but they're yeah, not in I a mean, Power 5 conference. They're in a mid-major conference. Right. They're not they a mid-major They are not a mid-major. Major. They are in right. a mid-major conference. Right. So in, in that regard, you know, maybe it, it does speak to what you were talking about earlier, Seth, that the new metric will help the mid-major. But at the end of the day... As I said, you just got to go out and win games. Gonzaga's right. good enough to, to win games against good teams, and they schedule good good opponents, and they can win some of those games. Um, I think that, that way, just shows you why the RPI needed to be changed. Which, right. You know, Scooter just right. laid it out because perfectly R- and gave us one specific example. Right, because the RPI, to Scooter's point, the RPI did not factor in home or road. The RPI did not factor in travel. The RPI did not factor in uh, toughness uh, of game. The RPI factored in 
your record, your opponent's record, and your opponent's opponent's record. And how stupid is that? Right? Like, how basic is that? There are so many more things we can do. And, and with the new analytics, with newer uh, thoughts, with newer formulas, you can factor in game where the game takes place. You can factor in probably if it's a, a night game, if it's a day in, in football's case, if it's a night game versus if it's a day game. There, there are ways to factor in how difficult it is to play in a certain stadium at a certain time of day. And, and I think that this metric and, and being more all-encompassing is a good thing, right? Like, it, it's a good thing to factor in more than just your record and your opponent's record. I, I don't think that they're going to have a formula that factors in. Well, this is not, you know, perfe- not ES- perfectly. ESPN not perfectly. game day, and it's you know, there's it, you know, it's a nationally no. televised game at you know a certain time. I don't think they even need to do that, right? You know, if you look back on the losses, and again, this is supposed to be a jumping off point to some degree. I mean, it's not the be-all and end-all. It's no. not like they rank them 1 through 68 and say, okay, you know, these are the teams no, that are getting in the NCAA. A, no, I'm not saying that's what better, you're saying. It's a, it's a better way to sort the right. teams when you look at Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2, Quadrant 3. Right. It's a better way of doing that. My point is, I don't think you need to take it to the level of, well, it was a night game at Clemson opposed right. to a noon game. I don't think you need to take it that far. I think you can look at the losses and the wins and say, okay, they lost this game to Clemson, which obviously it's not going to hurt you anyway but and, and we're talking football here but you know say it's you know cameron indoor stadium does it matter if it's a night game or a you know espn game day at cameron or a game that's at no, noon? It's a game it shouldn't at matter right. right it shouldn't matter so that, that's my point is i don't think you need to take it that next step with this metric but again scooter lays out you know just one of the many reasons why the rpi had to go away i'd be curious to see uh, what gonzaga's strength the schedule out of conference look like under this new system we do need to take another time out 315-437-7644 back after this on espn radio live from armory square this is orange nation with Stephen fonte and seth goldberg Got about 30 minutes left on a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. Stephen Fonte, Seth Goldberg with you up until 2 o'clock. 315-437-7644. You can also text us 315-288-0644. We started to talk some football in the last segment, then got a little sidetracked, uh, went back to basketball with Scooter's phone call. But let's jump back on uh, with football. We talked about the changes in the program that Dino Babers notices, thinks it's a tighter group. As you said, speaking to the culture, I think you're absolutely right on. Uh, also saying that just the, the athlete looks bigger and stronger, and I, I don't think you can deny that at all. I mean, for the first time, really since Babers has been here, he feels like he has an offensive and defensive line that he can compete with in the ACC. They were undersized, undermanned up to this point. They're still working on the depth, but you finally feel like it's going to be a fair battle against right. the, the better teams in the conference. And, yes, I know they beat Clemson last year, but it's not like they could go toe-to-toe with Clemson's defensive line. I'm not saying they're, they're that good yet, but they're moving in the right direction, and, and you feel like you feel like it's uh, they're on equal footing this year, finally. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's a fair way of saying it. You know, they, they had to recruit a certain type of athlete, and they had to do this before Dino Babers got here, but they didn't really. And then once Dino got here, they, they kind of knew what they needed to, to compete in the ACC. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really important thing. I thought this was said really funny by Dino Babers at uh, the first press conference of the fall, it, what, about a month ago. Uh, Julian Wiggum asked the question about, like, 
strength and conditioning and the program this summer and whatever. And Dino basically just said, Julian, these guys look like your teammates. And, and like, he didn't mean it like, you know, like in a bad way, but it was just like, like, it was just like a very fun, like it, it made you think about it, right? Like it made you realize like, oh, this is a different kind of player than what was here two years ago. I mean, Julian Wiggum was a, a cornerback on the team two years ago, you know, and it, it's a very different athlete than what was here then. And I think the expectations are starting to change as well. I asked Dino about his expectations leading into 2018 a couple days ago when I sat down with him over at the SU Football Complex. Here's what he had to say. You know what? I'm, I'm excited to see how this thing starts. First of all, I would never put a ceiling on myself and say six wins is as much as we can get. Uh, and I don't want to say that that's our criteria. We want to win. And for us to be winners, that's the magical mark. So we can start there, sure. I don't think we should stop there. And our schedule is still difficult. But I think we've got, we're starting to get depth at certain positions. And if the injury bug stays away from us at the right positions, I think we're going to have a good run at this thing. And I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be exciting. And I think it's going to be something that people are going to want to come out and see. I like how he uh, opened that comment and said, I, I want to see how this thing starts because that first month of the season is really going to set the tone for this entire year as the wind is picking up uh, you might out hear here that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> at the great New York State Fair. Uh, I think it's it's probably a good thing that, that we only have a half hour left in this show is that the, the yeah. skies are darkening and the, the wind is picking up. But it, the month of September is going to be so important. Western Michigan, Wagner, Florida State, UConn, and then obviously that trip to Clemson. But it, the first four games in particular, if you can get out of that at least three and one I think you've set yourself up for a, a very good shot at, at getting to a bowl game this year but I think you got to be yes. three and one if you're two and two take some wind out of the sails going into October and beyond yeah I, I think like you said the first month is really going to set the tone you got a you got a challenging game in western Michigan you know what Florida State is when they come to the dome you got two games that on paper you would look at and say hey you you got to win those, right? You got to win Wagner and UConn. So what do you do in the other two? And and I, I think that it will, like you said, set a tone before what Clemson and UNC and Pitt and 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 some games that you know. In in the case of a Pittsburgh, a Wake Forest, a, a Boston College, maybe games that you you should be competitive in, but they're on the road, so they're going to be a little more difficult to really compete and and play well in. So I, I think, like you said, first month is really important. Get off to a good start. Uh, you know, get off to that to that three and one start that you want to get off to, um, and then be ready for the rest of the year, knowing that you head into conference play at least with a bit of a head start. A lot of the toss-up games are on the road. By starting three and one, it gives you a little margin for error. If you're two and two, your margin for error pretty much goes out the window, and you got to win all of those toss-up games. But if you can start three and one, give yourself a little margin for error uh, with all those road games. Antoine Cordy, of course, uh, back on defense this year. He's seen his last two seasons cut short by injury. Here's Dino Babers on the return of Antoine Cordy. You know, Antoine is, I, I don't want to jinx him. He, I love Antoine Cordy on my football team. The only, the only thing I wish is I, I want to see Antoine Cordy more on game day. You know, I've seen him in practice. I've seen him in training. He's been in my office, and he's a jewel. I want you guys to get an opportunity to see for a season what I've been seeing spring and practices and off seasons with Antoine Cordy because you guys think he's good, but it's not your fault. You really don't know how talented he is. High praise for Antoine Cordy. My guess is you're going to see him as a captain this year. That has not been decided uh, as of yet, but it seems like 
He's replaced Zaire Franklin, and I think we at least expect him to replace Zaire Franklin as the heart and soul of that defense. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's going to be a really big piece. And, and you know, I brought this up uh, with Brent Axe on the block yesterday. He wanted me to do some some over-unders. And I, I said over-under four-and-a-half starts for Antoine Cordy. And it's like a that's like a tough one to, to say because, like, I think you would agree with me. I hope it's more than four-and-a-half, right? Like, I, I hope for him, you know, if nothing else, I hope for him that it's more than four and a half because this is a guy who the last two years has had two different injuries and, and they've ended his season. And, and it just, you know, he talked about this earlier in the earlier in the spring, the, the fall practice. And I thought it was a really impressive thing to bring up, but that takes a toll on you. You know, that, that takes a toll on you when you've had two different injuries in, in two different years. Um, I hope he's able to play. I think, of course, it makes the Syracuse defense better when he's on the field. I think that's a no-brainer. But for his sake, I hope he's healthy enough to play a whole year. All right, one more from Dino Babers. And by the way, you can see more of my interview, my sit-down with Dino, uh, Tuesday night on the uh, television premiere of Orange Nation 7 to 7.30 on News Channel 9. This last one we have was from yesterday when he addressed all of the media in regards to the quarterback battle. Uh, and I think we played – is this the one we played on the show yesterday, we did. Seth? Okay, let's, let's play it again remind everybody what Dino said about the QB battle. Have you decided on a starting quarterback for week one? I have. Is it Eric? I'm not going to answer any questions right now, but... What did you see from those two guys in that competition down the stretch? And Was it a close call at all for you? You mean Eric and, and Tommy? Eric and Tommy. I think that uh, their competition is still going, and I think it's a good competition, and I, I can't wait to see both of them play. Do you envision both of them playing in week one? It all depends on how the score goes. If it's a close game? <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> all right, that was Dino Babers yesterday. I understand that he wants to, to put that element of doubt out there for Tim Lester and for Western Michigan to think about, oh, we might have to prepare for a second quarterback. We better prepare for a second quarterback. It feels there's, unnecessary. There's, there's no way that Eric Dungey's not starting this game, correct? I agree with you. Eric Dungey's starting. I, I said that yesterday, and, and we talked about this. I, You know, with, with an extra couple hours to really think about it, I don't understand why he did this, because it, it leads to us talking about it. It leads to it getting written about. It leads to the questions next week when he when he has his media availability. It's it's unnecessary. It's well, un, it's unnecessary to do this. Like internally, that, I don't get it. Internally, everybody knows who's starting. He said that. He said we've decided who's starting. Publicly, he says this. And again, my guess is he wants Western Michigan to have to think about it. Don't you think? Give him a little extra something to to have to do at practice. I I guess. Waste their time on Tommy DeVito. When Are they going to though? Like if we if we can sit here and say, well, obviously it's going to be Dungey the starting quarterback. Can't Tim Lester do that? Um, well, we can say. I mean, what are the repercussions if we're wrong? Nothing. If the repercussions, the repercussions for Western Michigan if they're wrong is that you know they they're behind the eight ball in a game that they think they can win, and they're going to have you know nothing. On, well, very little anyway on uh, on Tommy DeVito. I'm not sure what they would get on him anyway. But as we talked about on the show yesterday, they they have different strengths and. They're going to want to prepare, I would assume, differently for Tommy DeVito than they would for Eric Dungy. Eric Dungy is starting this game next Friday. I would be beyond shocked if, uh, if Tommy DeVito takes the first snaps uh, in week one. We do need to take another timeout. This is Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore. 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio.